Welcome back. So today we're going to talk about some theology and some things about the Bible that are not as clear cut or, you know, easy to understand as people might want you to think. In other words, theological issues that some people just take for granted. They don't really question other people do, and these these topics have been debated for, you know, since Jesus's time. Since Jesus came, people have been trying to decide what what did he actually do, what what did he mean, and, you know, how does that affect us? So let's just dive right in with, and, and this also is not just about Jesus, but the Old Testament too, like, does the law still apply to us? And did did God really mean it when he said, you know, this and that? And a lot lot of the problem with understanding the Bible is that verses are plucked out like picking a flower. And actually, that verse doesn't really make sense unless it's in context. And that's why you need to study the whole Bible and not just a few easy to understand or inspiring or interesting parts or, you know, the the stories that you learned when you were a kid about Noah and Jonah. Well, let's talk about Noah and Jonah. Those are two stories that ha- are very important to understanding who God is. They aren't just interesting stories, okay? Jonah was sort of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do later. Basically, Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a big fish, and he was inside the fish for three days and then he was spit out and then he came back and he went and he warned the people of Nineveh that if they didn't stop sinning, they were going to be under God's judgment. Well, does that sound familiar to what Jesus did? Jesus was crucified. He was put, he was died on the cross He was put in a tomb, similar to a whale, and then he came out and he warned the whole world about God's judgment. After three days, he came out. Now, does the story, you know, line up exactly? No. So it's not, it's not meant to be, you know, exactly the same, but it's to, it's meant to make you think about Jesus, like, and when you see what Jesus did, you remember what Jonah did. And and Jesus even said something about the sign of Jonah. And he talked about Noah, too. He said that Noah was a sign. And what did Noah show us? Noah showed us that God is was going to, he flooded the earth and he wiped out all the people And that is going to happen again, eventually in the future, God is going to remake the earth again and get rid of all sin. It didn't, it didn't have the same effect when, when it happened with Noah, because Jesus had not come yet. 
as soon as Noah and his family started repopulating the earth, the sin problem was still there. But with in Jesus's kingdom, we will we won't have that sin problem. There won't be any more sin in the world in the kingdom with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth that are coming in the future. So all the stories in the Bible, you know, whether they sound like children's stories and they make for good veggie tale videos, they also have much more deeper and you know theological meanings. So let's talk about some other verses. How about um, Jeremiah? Well, the book of Jeremiah is, is a very important book of the Bible. Jeremiah was a prophet during a, a very important time in, in the history of Israel. And yet, the most popular verse that people know is Jeremiah 29, 11, I think it is which is, I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope and a future, plans for good and not harm, something like that. And so people pluck that one verse out and they don't read the rest of the book. Those people were not going to experience those good things in their lifetime. And uh, my pastor did a sermon on this that I thought was really good. He, and he was telling them, he was telling them, look, you know, keep living your life and have hope for now, but your hope is based on what's going to happen in the future. And that is the same as it is for us now, even though we're not in captivity or whatever at the moment, there's no telling what the future could hold. I mean, some people may be in captivity. They're listening to this. I don't know. Maybe you're in prison. Maybe you live in a country where there's no freedom. Maybe you're under some kind of COVID lockdown. But at least where I'm at, we still have freedom. But we're still in, imprisoned by the world system because Satan is in control of this world at this time. Now, Christians are still are managed and controlled and protected by God, but the world as a whole is under the control of evil. So in the future, I mean, and that can be really oppressive to live under when you really believe in God and you're close to God and you know that this is not your home, sometimes it can cause you to just long for Jesus to come back. And so like in Jeremiah, we need to remember the verses that tell us to keep living, keep following Jesus. And our hope is in the future. Our hope is in the kingdom. Our hope is based on what we know is going to happen. And also that we know that God is even with us now. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's protecting us. Even if we are to die, we are going straight to God. So, you know, what is that verse? Uh, if God is for us, who can stand against us? You know, who can be against us? Because God is for us. So that is the hope that Christians have. Um, so how about um, the book of John? or the book of Matthew. 
Matthew has the story is a gospel. It tells the story of Jesus and all the miracles that he did and his preaching. And it has a, a lot of wonderful quotes and stuff, but it also has some confusing ones like the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, is kind of confusing because as most of the verses in the Bible tell us that we are no longer under the law. We're saved by grace. We're saved because of Jesus's death on the cross. All our sins are forgiven. But here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a whole list of like instructions of and expectations. Okay. So if you're a Christian or a Jew and you believe in God, you can't just ignore the Sermon on the Mount. You need to know that, that you can't just live any way you want. God actually has expectations for us. So let me uh, pause here and I will read the Sermon on the Mount to you. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Okay, Matthew 5 says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now see, just those first two verses can cause questions in your mind. Such as, was he sitting down with the crowds or with just with the disciples? Was he teaching the disciples or was he teaching everyone? So if you read your Bible carefully, you you should really look at the words and and make sure that you don't just skim them because sometimes you can read it wrong if you get in a hurry. Now, I looked up those verses and the agreement among scholars seems to be that he was speaking to the disciples, but other people could also hear him. So take that and remember that as you're reading the rest. Okay, so the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. Now, just this enough right here is enough to make people say, hmm, not sure I want to follow Jesus because they don't, they may not like what they're reading here if they haven't read the whole Bible. If they don't understand that on this earth we will have trouble, but in the in the the kingdom we will, re, will we will have peace and rewards whereas the unbelievers may have easy lives now but in the future they will be sent into eternal judgment so what does the beatitude say it says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven So the people who are poor in spirit now will get the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So you may be mourning now, but you will be comforted now and later. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That means in the future, not now. You're meek now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means if you if you really care about righteousness, for they will be filled, then you will be filled with righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's the one that we all want. We all want mercy, but what does it say? It says you have to be merciful too. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, we want to see God, right? So we need to be pure in our hearts. That means we don't sin willfully. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's that's the greatest um, position to be in, a child of God. So if you want to be a child of God, be a peacemaker. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're persecuted on this earth, you will be ruling in the kingdom of heaven later. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Not because of your own sin, but because of Jesus So just keep on speaking the truth. Keep on loving people and doing what's right and believing the truth. Even when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely accuse you of evil because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, says, says verse 12, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you read the Bible and you see what happened to so many of the prophets, they weren't, you know, Daniel lived a very long time, but he went through some pretty tough stuff. He was thrown into a den of lions. He was thrown into a pit with uh, a fiery furnace. You know, he was accused of things that he didn't do. I mean, you know, he was... He was, uh, what do you call it, castrated when he was a teenage boy and was forced to live in the, in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar. So, I mean, you know, he went through a lot, but he never turned his back on God. So, if you keep on reading the uh, chapter 5, you will read things like this. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, where do we get our righteousness we get our righteousness through the for, through faith in Jesus. However, the things that come after that verse 
still matter. And what is Jesus talking about? He's saying don't murder, but he's saying also don't be angry. He's saying uh, don't call people names. He's saying reconcile with people. Settle matters with your enemies. Um, He says don't commit adultery, but also don't lust after other women. So, I mean, we all know about the, the, the epidemic of porn usage among men of all ages, including pastors, married men, young boys, even women are addicted to porn. So that verse is telling you, stop looking at porn. How about number 31? It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is against divorce. The next one, he says, don't swear. All you need to say is simply yes or no. So in the Bible and in God's world that we belong to, making an oath is a very serious thing. So if you promise something to to God, he expects you to keep it. So don't make promises you can't keep. Uh, Number 38 is about revenge. It says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. So Jesus is talking about we are we as Christians are to to be different from the rest of the world. We are to love our enemies, pray for them. We're to even love the ones who persecute us and not to resist them. And that's, that's actually not a real popular um, idea with conservative Christians. And, you know, I, I struggle with that myself with knowing okay, what does God want me to resist and what does he not want to resist? And when you read that verse, it can be a little cloudy. How about number six? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So it says, uh, don't announce when you give to the needy. Don't announce it. So, you know, when you give to to some organization, don't post about it on social media. If if you want God to reward you for your generosity and helping the poor, just keep that between you and God. It even says in verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I was thinking about that verse, not don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And what, what does that mean? 
I was thinking that it kind of is like we all have that little devil on our shoulder, you know, not really, but that idea where we're, you know, that we're tempted to not do the right thing. So if you, if your right hand is trying to do the right thing and give to the needy, don't let your left hand know because your left hand is going to try to talk you out of it. So there's that. And the next part is about praying. And it's saying that keep your prayers private. Now, public prayer is allowed as well, but don't do it to be seen. You don't, you're not praying to get praise from men. Uh, and since I don't know who's listening to this, I'm just going to read verse nine, which is what we call the Lord's prayer. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now that's the NIV version. So it might sound a little bit different. But Jesus gave the disciples and the people that as an example of how to pray. He says to come to God and to acknowledge that his name is holy and to pray for his will to be done on earth and in heaven and to pray for daily bread. That means that we depend on him on a daily basis and to forgive us. We, we should pray for forgiveness every time we sin because we sin a lot and we should pray to be protected from temptation. So that's a great verse to pray anytime you feel like praying. Now, so that's not the only thing I want to talk about. So let's move on to sin and whether, whether you can lose your salvation. So I wrote a blog about this called, Am I Still Saved If I Sin?, And I will put the link to it in the show notes. So many Christians or maybe people who aren't sure if they're a Christian have wondered if they lose their salvation when they sin. So the short answer to that is you do not lose your salvation. You are still saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Now, What I just said there is controversial in that not all churches or Christians believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. Some churches and preachers believed that you can, you can either walk away from Jesus or Jesus can walk away from you. Now, my religion does not teach that. And I consider my beliefs to be from the Bible, but I understand that there are some verses in the Bible that might seem, you know, to support that idea that you could lose your salvation. But I believe that the, if you think about the whole spirit of the Bible and the character of God and the power of God, I also believe that God 
saves us. Okay. Now see, that's another theological issue that can be debated. It's the whole free will debate. Some people just assume that everyone believes in free will, but they don't. There's, there are different beliefs on whether or not we have free will regarding our salvation or, or does God choose who gets saved? And here's, here's the, the idea in a nutshell. Some people believe that you ask Jesus to save you. Okay. And that part is, it's true. You, you do ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins and you, you confess that you believe in Jesus. Okay. But the question comes in is, did something happen to you that made it possible before you could ask to, for Jesus to forgive your sins? And, and some people believe that um, anyone can come to God, okay? They believe that everyone has the ability to just choose to be saved. And then other people believe that God has to basically activate the switch in you first before you can come to him. Now, I don't really think this question is debated among people who don't believe in Jesus. It's always debated between believers. So it really, if you look at it that way, it doesn't really matter because what matters is that you believe. And it, I mean, it, if you believe that God saved you from your sins, that should create in you a sense of gratitude and humility and the desire to serve Jesus because of what he did for you. Now, if you think you saved yourself in any way, if you think that you chose Jesus, which might give you the idea that, you know, somehow you are responsible for your own salvation then that could cause you to not be quite as humble as you should be. So I think it's, in my opinion, it's better to believe that you had nothing to do with it, that you were dead in your trespasses, that you were, like Paul teaches, you were totally unable to save yourself and that God did all of it. And that you only chose to believe after God activated your faith. To me, that idea gives God the most glory. But why does it matter? Because as far as sin, if you, if you believe that God saved you, then you will also believe that God will keep you saved. But if you believe that you chose God, then you can also believe that you can unchoose God. So in that respect, you will have less assurance. So if you believe in that idea of free will, 
then you will you you may not be as secure in your knowledge that God has got you in his hand and he's not going to let you go. So for me, I find more comfort in believing that what the Bible teaches is that I'm one of Jesus's sheep and he is going to chase me down and bring me back anytime I stray from him. He's not going to let me go. He's not going to let me get lost. And yes, when you sin, you are going to experience consequences. So when you're sinning, it doesn't mean that you're free from consequences, but it does mean that you're still saved because all of your sins, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sins. He, he broke the power of sin for those who will believe. Okay. So all your sins were, were covered, but does that mean that you can just keep on doing whatever you want and not caring about Jesus? Well, actually, why would you want to do that? I mean, if you truly believe in Jesus and have him living inside of you via the Holy Spirit, then when you sin, you're going to feel so guilty. And you're going to know that it's wrong. It's going to eat you up. And that's what happened to David in the Bible is whenever he sinned, it was eating him up inside. He knew that, that what he did was wrong. So as, as for us, if we sin, we're basically hurting ourselves. And of course, we are sinning against God, but we're going to feel that guilt. So we should do all we can to avoid sin. That And what, what can we do to avoid sin? Well, this is very important. God wants us to depend on him. He wants us to just live every minute in dependence on him. And when we do that, then we're less likely to be tempted or fall into sin when, when we are tempted because the Holy Spirit is there telling us, nope, don't do that. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit, then we're less likely to sin. So this process of hearing, learning to obey the Holy Spirit and everything that's written in the Bible for our, our education and, and for our knowledge is called this uh, process of becoming more like Jesus is called sanctification. And it can take, you know, the early stages for some people, like if you got saved and you were like a drug addict or living some kind of awful life, you might change dramatically at first. You might give up drugs. You might change your lifestyle or whatever, but the hard work goes on in our hearts, in our minds. And that's why the Bible says that we have to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And this takes time. So we have to spend time with God every day, multiple times in prayer. And then just thinking about what would 
Okay. What does God want me to do? I mean, it's a, it's a, it be, it's, that's why they call it a relationship. He's with us. He's with us. He's guiding us. And that's why, um, you know, if someone just claims to believe in Jesus, but they really don't, then you'll know because their life isn't going to change because their mind hasn't been transformed. They haven't been born again. They just, you know, are pretending. Okay. That's called a false conversion. So if a false conversion, when that person sins, yes, those sins are held against them because they were never actually saved. So there is that question that you must know, you must ask yourself, have I really been saved? Do I really trust God? Do I really believe in God? Do I really believe that God is with me at this moment? And, you know, pray about it and look at your life and see, is there any fruit that proves that the spirit is in you? Because the Bible teaches us that if you are saved, then you you'll have you'll see it in your life. So what, you know, what are these things that they're called the fruit of the spirit or the fruits of the spirit? So let me read them. It says, and this is in Galatians 5, 16. Let's start there. So I say, well, let me back up to 14. This is really important. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then 16, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So yes, your flesh is still going to have desires and it's going to try to get you to do things that are contradictory to God. But it says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, which I just wrote another blog last night about idolatry and witchcraft, Uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why does Paul say that they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Because that person, the people who are living like that, they're not really saved. But what does it say? People who are actually saved will look like verse 22 in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, if you see love, joy, peace, and kindness in your life, then that's a good sign. But if you see immorality, jealousy, rage, hatred, 
then you might want to question if you're actually saved or not. Now, you know, all Christians can have lapses where they, where they sin. And that's what we're talking about. But if your life is dominated by those things, then you may, you may not actually be saved or you may have gotten really far from God and you need to cry out to him and, and ask him to forgive you and draw you back and save you from your flesh that you have been just being led by. So don't be led by the flesh. So those are two controversial things, uh, which is once saved, always saved and um, free will. So I have some blogging friends that I know disagree with me on these topics, but that's okay. As long, you know, we're all trying to figure it out. I think if God wanted it to be super easy to understand, he would have made it that way. So maybe he wanted us to talk about it. So let's talk about obeying God's will. Okay. Some people say that the only way you know God's will is by reading the Bible. And other people believe that the Holy Spirit is still actively guiding us and and showing us God's will. So that's another controversial topic. What do I believe? Well, I kind of believe that it's a little bit of both that you, you need to know your Bible very well. And then the Holy spirit will remind you of what the Bible says when you need to know it. So the Holy spirit is actively guiding us, but it's not that the Holy spirit is like giving us like, It's not sending us an email or calling us on the phone. A lot of times the Holy Spirit is kind of more like a confirmation that you're on the right track. Or sometimes something that happens to me a lot is I'll just see Bible verses everywhere. I'll see the same Bible verse everywhere. And I'll be like, okay, God's telling me something with that Bible verse. And I won't you know, I'm not going to like make a big deal out of it, but I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to be ready for whatever happens. And, and God will just use those little ways that he communicates with us. But here's the, the danger in this thing. This is, this is why people don't want you to be overly concerned with the Holy Spirit is because some people will misuse that type of idea. And they will say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Or the Holy Spirit told me to do that. Well, if it's not in the Bible, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do that. So the Holy Spirit and the Bible work together. So unless you are confident in your knowledge of the Bible, be careful with going on. So this really wasn't what I was going to 
podcast about today, but I, I hope you found it, you know, helpful in some way. And just, you know, if you're a new Christian or someone who hasn't studied the Bible a lot or hasn't really delved into theology much, some of this may be totally new to you. For other people who have are very deep into theology, I'm sure you have your opinions, and I hope that, you know, we can still be friends. Um, and I purposely did not name any denominations or, you know, uh, theologians, because in my opinion, um, well, you know, even Paul said, don't, don't have factions and don't, don't argue. There should be unity in the church. So I think in these last days, the people who truly believe in God need to unite. And yes, the ones who are teaching heresies, kick them out. But be careful that you don't kick out people over theology until you get to know them a little better. I know when I first started studying theology, I was I was way too quick to just dismiss people. And since then, I've learned that there are people in what I consider false churches that are actually true believers. And why they're still in those churches, I'm sure they have, there's different reasons. But I think it's important to consider the individual people before you make a decision. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that doesn't work for you, but that's what I do because I feel like that's what God is telling me to do that. He wants, you know, and that's kind of how I live my whole life. Um, I feel like God wants me to get the whole picture, the big picture and not rush to judgment because there's a lot more going on that I don't know. So I just kind of, I try to let God handle things and not feel like it's up to me. And I haven't always done that. I used to think that it was all up to me. So I'm thankful for the peace that I have now in knowing that God is sovereign and that I am not responsible for saving anyone. My job is to share the gospel and to leave the actual saving up to God. And that's a very um, comforting thought. But my job is also to pray and I will keep doing that. And I keep praying for the ones that I know that need Jesus. And that's all of us. We all need Jesus. But there's some people who don't know him at all who have totally rejected him. So anyway, I'm going to end this here. And in case you notice, there was no dog barking. That's because I put him outside and he's out there barking, wanting me to come and bring him in the house. <laughs> so thanks for listening and God bless you as you draw near to him and he draws near to you. Please check out my other episodes and check out my blog and share and follow and um, send me send me an email if you want to at blue skies and green pastures blog at gmail.com. Bye now.